listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network, and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Ooh, welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson, live in the Cardinal Sports Center studio, part of the Republic of Texas football feed. Everywhere you get your podcasts, also streaming live on YouTube. Smash that like button, hammer that subscribe button. Whatever you do, you can do it now. You can also hit us up with a comment live on the stream or afterwards on YouTube. Or uh, subscribe to the Republic of Texas football so you can listen to the podcast. Uh, as I said, we're in the Cardinal Sports Center studio. You can gear up for football season, fall ball season, or just get some Texas Tech gear there at Cardinals. We'll also hopefully this week be restocked and dropping some new merch for the Gambling Gauchos. Keep up with that on our Twitter feed at Gambling Gauchos. We'll uh, let you know when that's ready. Uh, They're at Cardinals at MyCardinalSports.com or live and local right outside the loop on Slide Road. If you're coming down for the Oregon game, be sure to stop by Cardinals. Kyle, how you doing? Fan-freaking-tastic. <laughs> Did you have a good weekend? Mostly. Yeah. There, there was about a four-hour stretch that I didn't particularly enjoy, but the rest was pretty cool. Do you want to get the good stuff out of the way and then talk about the game, or do you want to kind of talk about the game and then talk about the atmosphere? I think people are more in the mood to cut to the chase. Okay. And so I do I, want to compliment Wyoming and Laramie at the end, but let's let's get to the point. And I don't know where you want to start. Um, I, I guess I'll say this, Rob. I'm not going to sit here and sunshine pump because I don't think most people want to hear that. I think a small fraction of fans do, and I could. Right. Um, I'm going to do my best to give kind of my honest reaction to the game, good or bad. Okay. Uh, Well, let's start at the start. Uh, Texas Tech, in a rain delay, uh, comes out and you feel like that might affect the game, but 17 straight points doesn't affect it. Tyler Tyler Shuck looks in rhythm, uh, on time, which I feel like has been his biggest issue. Uh, being on time for throws, you've seen it to the sideline, you've seen it over the middle uh, in his career, but he looked on time, and especially that throw to Jaden York, the second touchdown, really looked sharp. And then it all disappeared offensively. Yeah, I'm with you there, especially the first touchdown drive. You know, the second one was just so quick, and you start with such good field position, you can almost hardly call it a drive. But yeah, the first one, couple short passes to Miles Price, an experienced guy, veteran guy that you expect a lot from, a couple run plays. Once you get two first downs, feels like, you know, the tempo, that's when it kind of starts working and you're in sync, you're in rhythm. Loic Fungi, great back shoulder throw and catch to Fungi for 19 or 20 yards. A little bit of foreshadowing, but that was his only catch of the game. I think he was only targeted on one other attempt after that. And then you go over the top, post route in the end zone to Miles Price. 
your longest play of the game is a touchdown. Defense sets you up really good for the second one. On the touchdown to Jaden York, I liked the formation. You had two tight ends out there. I like like giving the two tight end look, and we've got the personnel to do it. They had eight guys in the box, a corner and press coverage. I mean, it's the perfect time to take a shot. And one-on-one coverage, and we said, you know, we trust our guys to beat your guy. And you did 14-0, feeling great. And, uh, yeah, then it kind of starts to fall apart a little bit after that. Yeah, fall apart uh, is a nice way to say it. Tyler Shuck got out of rhythm, in my opinion. And I don't know exactly what happened to get him out of rhythm, but he did not look comfortable for, you know, the last five, six minutes of the first quarter, pretty much the whole second quarter and the third quarter. He really didn't look like in rhythm again until that last drive in the fourth quarter. Well, part of getting into a rhythm, again, is earning a couple of first downs. Like, you don't have to score in four plays every drive. Like, it's okay to dink and dunk a little bit, run the ball, get a first down or two. That's where I feel like the tempo kicks in. You're not going to you're not gonna catch them off guard or get them tired by going tempo in between plays one and two on a drive. And so from my notes, drive three through drive 11, nine drives. Um, you go almost scoreless. You get a field goal because you started in field goal range, but you don't get a first down on that drive. That's the field goal that made it 17-0. But the other eight of those nine drives, totally scoreless. Some of those drives were just bad, you know, three and outs or a turnover. Some of them you, you know, get into field goal range and can't quite capitalize. But when you go at three and out multiple times without handing the ball off, that makes me question, are we being greedy here? And should we just take three or four yards running the ball when it's there to set us up for third and short and keep the chains moving? Um. Through your first six drives, four handoffs. And I get that on the first two, you didn't really need it. You were moving through the air. But that that shows like we have no commitment to trying a balanced approach. And I think that that's where you kind of allowed Wyoming to claw back into the game because you're not eating up clock with any of these possessions. You're making yourself one-dimensional on offense. And then slowly but surely from a 17-0 deficit, they're able to start clawing their way back. And I – I know we harp on run the damn ball all the time, and that's a little bit of kind of a bumper sticker slogan. It doesn't fix all your offensive woes, but I think it could have helped you out just by keeping your offense on the field, moving the sticks. Even if those same drives that you went three and out don't result in any points, getting two first downs and then punting for playing time possession, field position, I know that's not your game, that's not your identity, but it would have been helpful. I think it was after you went up 17 and nothing that next drive, you went three and out and there was a drop on third down, I believe that uh, would have extended the drive, but instead turned into a punt. And then after that, you really, like you said, what was it? Three through 11 didn't have anything. And tempo wise, when you're up 17 to nothing, like you got your fast start. You have to be able to play multiple ways. We talked about it all offseason that you're going to be at altitude. You're going to tire out. You're going to play a bunch of guys. But why force yourself to go fast when you can slow it down or at least run the damn ball? And you didn't even try it. Now, that, that is a, a two-part question here. 
is it Zach Kidley or is it Tyler Shuck? Because the quarterback has full control of the offense, we've been told. And there are times when you are going out and putting guys in motion and moving tight ends from one side of the field to the other. Is it Tyler Shuck calling all the passes or is that is it Zach Kidley? There was definitely one on, I think it was your first three and out. So your third possession when you didn't score on third down, we clearly check out of the look. And that's the one where Shuck kind of like pump faked it, tried to hold up because uh, he wasn't on the same page as the receiver and just kind of throws it into the back of one of his offensive linemen, three and out, punt the ball. And I know tempo is the strategy. I don't know if I want to call it an identity, which I'll get to that later. And like, it's okay to go tempo in a close game or when you're playing from behind like you were a lot last year. When it's 14 to zero against a team that already themselves wants to go slow, when it's 17 to zero, 17 to seven, do we only have one gear? Like, do we, do we just, do we say we're never, ever, ever going to be a little bit more deliberate play for possession? Cause at that point, we've talked about this too. When you're the underdog, Wyoming comes in as 14 point underdogs and they're down 17 zero. The best thing that can happen for Wyoming in that scenario is for the game to be elongated, more possessions, more clock stoppages. The best thing for tech is fewer possessions, more running clock. And we play right into what Wyoming wants to happen. You know, tempo, 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 three and out. You can have the ball back 20 seconds later. That that's all Wyoming could ask for. So I wish that we could shift gears from, I, I know that that's the foundation of what we want to do on offense. We want to go fast, but I think, a great team, a good team is able to say, okay, now we're going to switch gears, do something a little bit different. And that's where we, we never adjusted. Like it's like the objective is to go fast, no matter what happens, not to win the game by maybe taking one or two or three different approaches. Um, A little bit more detail on those next few drives after the touchdown, third drive, three and out, no handoffs. That's when we're shucked, throws it into the back of the offensive line. Fourth drive, you recover the fumble infield goal position. Three and out, no handoffs, 54-yard 54 54 field goal. Fifth drive, handoff for seven yards. And on second and three, you throw a really bad interception. Late to the sideline, bad throw, it's telegraphed. Same interception we saw him throw last year and in 2021. That's kind of like a gut punch that apparently your starting quarterback in year three now at Texas Tech is making the same kind of mistakes. And it was late to the sideline. It was late. And on that, in that time and situation, second and three, the absolute worst thing that should happen is that you throw the ball into the stands and live to play another down on third and three. Even better if you can hit a check down for one or two yards, tuck and run for one or two yards. An interception in that spot, up 17-0. Like it's just not necessary to force the ball down the field. And your quarterback needs to have better situational awareness. Um, sixth drive, three and out, no handoffs. Seventh drive. Th- this is all again, my gripe with tempo seventh drive. You actually do pick up a first down or two and you're at midfield with about two and a half minutes left on the clock. Now, what do 99% of basketball and football teams do in a similar situation? They play for last possession. Yes. If there's no shot clock, why would you sprint down the floor for a layup and give the other team a no shot? What usually happens, you dribble across half court, kill some time, and then with eight or ten seconds left, you start looking for a shot. That's where I'm like, okay, let's tap the brakes here. There's two and a half minutes. We can play for last possession. We don't. We tempo, tempo, tempo. And I think – let me see how this drive ended. 
I don't remember what happened on this drive. If it was a punt, um, I guess it was. And it, I mean, it, it kind of ended up mattering. It kind of didn't. Like you give Wyoming an extra possession, they don't do anything with it. Uh, but this is where they punt the ball back to you with less than a minute. Now you're on possession number eight with worse field position than what you had with two and a half minutes left with a, the same first and 10 fresh set of downs. You have no timeouts and you wind up in this situation where you're hurrying the field goal unit out there with one second left, trying to get a snap off that, that whole sequence sucked. Like he made the first one and then the refs blow dead say, yeah, the ball wasn't set and ready for play. He pushes the second one. You can tell he was rushed. Like his footwork was very different than his other field goal attempts. Um, and I also hate that you got you got outfoxed by Wyoming's head coach, Craig Bowl. When Wyoming had the ball, at this point there's about a minute left, maybe a little more. Texas Tech has one timeout left, and he subs out his starting quarterback, uh, Peasley, for the, for the backups, Foboda. It's like third and eight, but I guess that – I guess we wanted to talk that over. We saw that there was a different quarterback in the game. We burned our last timeout. I think it was pretty clear Craig Bowl was just going to – waste of play there, make us burn the timeout after the play so that we didn't have one in our pocket when we got the ball back. Sure enough, he calls a quarterback draw. You stuff it. You're going to get the ball back now, but they run 40 seconds off the clock because you don't have the timeout anymore. And that also contributed to the rushed field goal attempt. So Craig Bull definitely outfoxed you there, getting you to burn that last timeout when you probably didn't need to. And it hurts you when you're trying to set up for three points before the half. To be fair, you should have had two or three seconds, but it's not. It's not why you. It just. It, I know people are going to say that afterwards. So. Yeah, I'm just. You could have had like 45 seconds. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, but on that drive that you get into field goal range, Chuck on time and decisive. And you're kind of forced to push the ball down the field because yeah. there's no time left in the half. And now, it felt like after the first couple drives, we quit going vertical unless we had to, unless it was an end of half, end of game scenario. And, and it worked in those scenarios, which it helps when the other team goes kind of prevent and, you know, lets you take 10 or 15 yards at a time. But still, it's just like, I don't know why we got away from that in the first place. We're not running the ball. So if we're not going vertical, what the hell are we doing? Besides just tempoing ourselves into a three and out over and over. I have a theoretical question for you. Philosophy question. Is it tempo if you're always going fast? I, I thought the same thing, like, it's one thing to be kind of the first team to go up tempo at that breakneck speed in 2011, but by 2023, when almost everybody's doing it, I mean, it's like, it's not a good, in my opinion, it's not a good way to like keep the defense on their heels. If half the teams on their schedule running tempo, they're preparing for it all off season, all week in practice. It, it just becomes where it's not really an advantage or an edge for you. And now like we see teams that can lean on power run game, starting to beat these up-tempo spread high-flying offenses because they play ball control and clock. And, like, I just want a balanced approach. I, I think tempo is great if you've got a personnel mismatch and you don't want them to sub or for a two-minute drill or you just feel like you've got them on their heels and you want to um, stick the dagger in their heart, fine. But I'm not sure why the default has to be up-tempo all the time, no matter the game situation, no matter the clock situation. That's what bothers me. When did you feel start to feel uneasy um, about the game? Was it at 17-10, or was it when they tied the game out of halftime after you went three and out? I think that was it, because halftime it was 17-10. It 
and you're about to get the ball back. And I was like, okay, terrible second quarter. We get the ball back. It's a chance to reestablish control, reset the tone. And what do you do on your ninth drive? Three and out. Now, to the credit this time, they ran the ball on first down. It was third and three. This is when Caleb Rogers jumped. And they're about to run the ball on third and three, which they were pulling the guard and the tackle. I think it would have worked. And instead, turns to third and eight. Uh, Low Kvunji gets his second and last target of the game. You don't convert. And then I was like, okay, that's not – that's a bad start to the second half. And then what does Wyoming do? Something like 15 plays, seven and a half minutes, touchdown. And it was 17-17. The stadium was rocking, and I was like, we're we're probably going to lose this game. Danger zone at 17-7. Yes. 17. Um, I do want to talk about a couple of comments here. Um, and I retweeted something last night before I rewatched the first half that I want to talk about. Uh, it was a stat that there were 80% of the clean – 80% of dropbacks were clean. And on those dropbacks, Shuck had a poor rating. Um, now, that seems to say the offensive line was really good. 80% of snaps, clean pocket. Uh, they rushed three, maybe 70% of the time. So you should have had 80% clean dropbacks. Uh, there was also really good coverage for most of the game. So when you see a stat... And I just blank retweeted it because I hadn't rewatched the game yet. But then I rewatched the game. And it's like, well, they're rushing three. They're dropping eight. You should have a clean pocket. And there were a lot of times I thought in the first half and in the third quarter where Tyler Shuck could have tucked the ball and run for three yards. And I don't know if they told him not to do that. There was a guy in our spaces that said, well, we were protecting him. We didn't let, turn him loose like we did in the Ole Miss game. You can't do that for a full season. You can't have an Ole Miss game for the full season. But you have to have a Tyler Shuck who can be decisive for 100% of the game and take three or four yards if he needs to. Yeah, and again, it's situational football. If you're handling Wyoming like you should and it's 31-7, to 7, then, yeah, I don't want Tyler Shuck taking hits. But when it's when we're losing in the fourth quarter, I don't want him sliding after getting two yards. He's like, put your shoulder down. We need to win this game. And there was a very clear – I don't want to jump too far ahead of ourselves. We did not do any designed quarterback run until the last possession of regulation. And then we'd call it like four times in the two overtime periods. And that's, there was plenty of it against Ole Miss against Iowa state. Like that was a function of the offense. And you sort of complemented the traditional run game, handing the ball off with that. And it was like, we don't want to use it. We don't want to use it. We don't want to use it. Okay. We're about to lose this game. Now we have to, you know, kind of play this last card in our hand. I'm not for that. Like, and, and I wasn't going back to last season. Like, injuries happen in football. I know Shuck has hurt that shoulder a couple times. You can't play the game in a way that you say, well, we'll just work it so that this guy never gets touched, and that way he never gets hurt again. Like, first time he broke that collarbone, he was untouched diving into the end zone, and he broke it himself on the ground. With a backup as good as Morton, I just don't think you keep the kid gloves on Shuck and try to operate like he's wrapped in bubble wrap out there. Yeah. He's a good athlete. He's a good runner. That needs to be an element of your game, and it wasn't until it was basically too late. And if if you don't have the opportunity in your playbook to run a fullback, but you have Taj Brooks who can lead block for the quarterback to have an extra blocker, then that's the necessity. If you're not going to have an H-back 
ISO play in your arsenal, then if the fullback lead is Tosh Brooks leading Tyler Shuck or the quarterback, then do that. If that's the necessity, if you can't run otherwise, do it. Now, was it uh, a little late in the game to be doing that? Maybe, but you scored on that drive. You scored a touchdown on that drive in, in overtime. Um, and you said skipping forward. I don't know that there's much to talk about in the third quarter, so we can go to the fourth quarter. Um, late in the game, I thought Tyler Shuck again was on time and in rhythm, but it seemed to me that in the middle of the game, you said it earlier, you just stopped going downfield. That seemed like a decision from Tyler Shuck to go to the sideline every play. And I know that's an extension of the run game, but I don't know. I just, I guess I just trust Zach Kitley more than I trust Tyler Shuck. And I don't know why, but it seems to me that there were, there were receivers running downfield and you weren't going to them. So is that the offensive coordinator of the quarterback? I, I don't know. I I do think that we don't know. I do think you were pretty good, like near and between the hashes, though. Like Dre McCray had a nice kind of like 10-yard seam route. You hit Bradley over the middle a couple of times when you needed to. Of course, the first touchdown to Price. And so I, don't know, I saw people saying like you weren't using the middle of the field. Maybe you could have used it more, but I thought you were effective going over the middle and yeah. a decent amount. Uh, problem is, again, some of those were like only when you really needed it, end of half scenario, when it was like our only option is to push the ball down the field. But, like, so, so let me ask you this as far as targeting receivers downfield. Was Jaden York open on his touchdown reception? No, he was not. Miles Price was a little bit behind the defense, but there was two guys assigned to him. It yeah. was just a good throw, and he was far enough behind him. Was Jordan Brown open on that toe tap down the field on the last drive of regulation? Not wide open, no. That, to me, looked more like a back shoulder adjustment. These are Basically, what I'm saying is these are good throws and good plays from your receivers. It's not scheming guys wide open. It was there's a certain amount of trust involved that our quarterback is going to make a play, the receiver is going to make a play. Um, trying to think. Oh, the this was the next drive on on drive number ten. Um, the the Bradley drop, and I guess this is the very end of the third quarter. Again, that's downfield. It's a good enough throw from Shuck. I, I think Shuck is going to get his fair share of criticism from this game. Could have been a little bit higher, like put it in his face mask, sure, but it was at his waist, at his gut. Your freshman All-American receiver, the best receiver on your team, needs to make that catch. Yeah, the Blitnikoff uh, expected receiver needs to make that catch, yes. Yeah, so th- that's where I'm like, hey, Shuck had his flaws this game. That was a that was a winning throw that the catch wasn't made. And as far as, like, individual plays, it, I never want to harp on, like, one play in a game that changes it all because there's so many factors. But that one, like, that's very likely seven points when, you're, when you've got first and goal inside the five. Instead, that's the field goal that gets blocked. And when I say blocked, I mean, it it never got more than five feet off the ground. We kicked it into the offensive lineman's shoulder pad. I think that was the only, like, bad, bad kick from Garcia. I know he missed three. We'll get to the doink later, I guess. That was one where I was like – he was really rushed on the one at the end of the first half. That was the one where I was like, okay, that was a bad kick. Um, So Bradley catches that, very likely seven points, almost an automatic three, like worst-case scenario, and instead you get zero. And, again, like you're just keeping Wyoming in the game. You're keeping their student section, their stadium into it. And this, like, oh, crap, fielding is just building and building and building. Um, 
So that that was a big one where, where I don't fault Shuck. We've been going full Texas Tech here and ignore, ignoring the defense. Uh, let's talk about the defense a little bit here. Um, their first scoring drive, Wyoming's first scoring drive, you had the penalty that extended it on what I thought was a horse crap call, the push in the back. With nothing going on so far in the game, uh, a simple push back to the huddle should have been a warning. Like, hey, Dun- hey, Dunlap, like that was a dumb move. Don't do that again. But it was an immediate flag. Maybe he said something too that got that drew the flag. But I didn't think the push was enough for a flag. Um, but obviously, it wasn't game time because there was a flag thrown. And then on the touchdown drive, I think there were three penalties: one on a third and six that extended the drive. And you also erased an interception on a hands to the face. So last year, I thought you were really clean defensively, but your defensive penalties murdered you in this game. It was a team effort to lose. And certainly penalty wise, you did not help yourself at all. Yeah. I don't want to take anything away from Wyoming because they, they won the game. Yes. But it also felt like to a pretty severe extent, you gave them a lot and they didn't get a lot offensively. They scored 20 points in 12 possessions. If you asked me before the game, would I take that? I would say yes. If you asked me if I would take that before any upcoming big 12 game, yes. But there were moments where like that third and five penalty, it's about to be third and five for Wyoming. I think at that point they hadn't gotten a first down all night. Maybe they hadn't crossed midfield all night. You give them a 15 yard penalty. That's more yards than they gained on any offensive plays that they've been running for absolutely no reason. Like a targeting penalty can happen because it's a bang bang play. You can get caught pass interference when you're trying to defend. This is after the play, and their guy just got under our dude's skin, and we made a selfish, weak between the ears play. Certainly boneheaded. And that was like the first time there was any sign of life for Wyoming offensively. Um, so that sucked. Uh, backing up a little bit, the first four drives two, three and outs, two turnovers, forced fumbles. Um, did you notice that we went with we took our star position off the field and went with five, basically five defensive linemen? I know they call Linton an outside linebacker, but basically had a five-two front when they were running two tight ends, and I think that was part of why we were stuffing the run on those first four possessions. Worked well. Jacob Rodriguez, he was all over their ass, and he got hurt on. It wasn't like a super late hit. I guess you can't call a flag there. But, like, he was – he recovered the fumble. He's, like, rolling over to try to stand up, and the Wyoming guy runs into him. I think that's when he hurt his ankle. Yes. And, man, there were a lot of problems at the inside linebacker position once he was off the field. Um, but, yeah, the penalties – penalties were bad. There was another play. I think it was – I think it was second and 12. This was another theme. The pass rush doesn't get home. Peasley evades it. He gets a 15-yard run. Tyler Owens hits him. Inbounds, out of bounds. Inbounds. Yeah, but they call it out of bounds. This and they get, before he gets hit, he makes a move to the sideline. They get thirty yards on that play with the yardage gained and the personal foul. Like they're not sniffing thirty yards on any like chunk of three or four plays all night. No, and you you give it to him in one play with an undisciplined pass rush, bad tackling, and then a borderline play on the sidelines. He was probably inbounds. I'm just not in a position where I'm gonna whine about the refs when you lose as a 14 point favorite. Yeah, but he was in bounds. I was yeah. I was I was in the end zone watching that play. 
So th- there were just moments like that where it's like Wyoming has nothing going for them, and you commit a penalty that extends a drive that gives them some juice. The pass rush is the other thing I want to talk about. This this stat blew my mind. Peasley throwing what I would call down the field, like somewhat vertically. Let's call it 10 or more yards. One for 11 for 25 yards. And if you count 15 yards or more targeted down the field, 0 for 9 would have been 0 for 10 with an interception had that Lux interception stood. And so you're facing a quarterback that is no threat to you downfield. And I'm not taking a shot at his talent. It was really more your DBs in good coverage, breaking up passes. Yeah. So why are we blitzing? Like you blitz to stop an effective pass game. They don't have one. Everything they got was checking it down, us taking a bad angle and then getting 10 or 12 yards off a check down or a a five-yard hitch on third and four. I I just didn't see the need to blitz. And you kept doing it, and all it did was bring your pass rush up the field. Peasley beats it, and he runs for first downs on third and seven, third and eight, second and 12. You played right into their hands on that. I don't know why you didn't do what they did. Rush three. Who cares if you sack him or not? Let him throw it and then leave an extra guy as a spy underneath or to cover more of those shallow routes because that's all you need to defend against. Let him throw it 25 yards down the field when Tyler Owens is in one-on-one coverage. That did not work for them all night long. And for some reason, we were trying to defend most against that where I I felt like we were least vulnerable. And everywhere where we were most most vulnerable, we were vacating those positions to put extra – pressure on the quarterback thought it was like a totally backwards defensive strategy having said that the penalties the pass rush being bad the bad angles less than four yards per carry less than five yards per pass attempt 20 points on 12 possessions two turnovers should have been more rabbit had a pick kind of fell victim to friendly fire Lux had a pick overturned by hands to the face overall i'm being picky here on some defensive stuff i would give them a B, B plus. Yeah. There's stuff to correct, but I don't think your defense is what lost you the game by any stretch. No, and especially the expectations you have set. If if you hold Wyoming to 20 in regulation, you should win. Now, if you make your field goals, you win. I haven't talked about special teams either. We can talk about that now. You mentioned the doink earlier. Um, I would call the kick at the end of the half a wash. He was rushed. That was a weird situation. He made the first one. They called it non-made so you had to kick it again obviously you're you're rushed in that moment even though you the snap should have been rushed he shouldn't have been rushed but is what it is you push that one uh in the second half you missed a couple of more kicks yeah what what's weird is the 50 yarder that he missed plenty of leg i mean he doinked it off like you know way up the upright yeah if it's from 52 or 53 it was hooking in a way it probably goes in, which, which is weird to say because you always want to attempt the shorter field goal. Right. Um, and, and that's where I look at his leg. Like he made a 54-yarder. He made that one before the half that they called off. I can't remember what distance that was from. I think 49. And then he has plenty of leg on a 50-yarder that is like inches from going. So, again, I don't think he's a bad kicker. The one bad kick that I have a gripe with was when he just kicked it into his offensive lineman's butt practically. That was a bad, bad kick. But uh, I I haven't lost faith in Gino Garcia. And maybe that's a hot take because he was two for five at the end of the day. I think clearly he has a leg. And as long as he can stay out of his own head, he can make field goals from 50 plus yards. Like clearly there's potential there. 
He just needs to be more accurate. Yeah, can he make a 30-yarder? Yeah. That's the question. Um, well, I guess what else do you have to say here? Um, uh, offensively, I feel like we've covered it. Defensively, I feel like we've covered it. The special teams were the special teams. I, I thought you played well enough to win, even though you played horrible. Um, you just didn't. Uh, is this a... Let me see how to ask this. Is this a coaching staff that is just going to struggle on the road? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, that was – you won a tough road game in Ames last last year. wasn't pretty, but you grinded one out, and they weren't a good team. And then you won a neutral side game against solid Ole Miss team. But, yeah, like that – and I don't know because you came out fine. It's not like you were flat all game. Right. You got up 17-0. to zero, You turned them over twice in your first four defensive possessions. So it's not like, hey, we showed up and we weren't ready to play. We were. Even after the rain delay and all that, and it was just like there shouldn't be anything inherent about playing in another team stadium that cripples your offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator's ability to make adjustments in game. And so I, I guess I'm hesitant to chalk it up to like, well, we were on the road. And it was a good environment. It was it was a fun environment. It's a good college football environment, but it wasn't like so loud that, you know, we're not hearing the quarterback at the line or we're miscommunicating miscommunicating, anything like that. But yeah, I mean they have one one road win uh, in I don't know what seven attempts maybe through fourteen games here. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> uh, question from the chat line: There were only two Power Five programs that played non-Power Five road games: Tech and Washington State. I never liked this opening game. Should our AD take any blame for scheduling at game one? I'm going to address this. I, I might rant because I, this take actually kind of bothers me, this line of questioning. But first, to make sure things don't get too negative here, I want to give a shout-out to the best barbecue joint in West Texas. That's Rahino Barbecue. You know them. You love them. They're back. Maybe this Wyoming loss puts a damper on the next home game against Oregon. But if you've got tickets and you're going, make sure you make time to go get some Rahino Barbecue. Not sure if they're going to have the food truck in Lubbock, but Olton is a short 45-minute drive away. Open Thursday through Saturday, and then Rahino Market open seven days a week. Make sure you go get it. You can't miss brisket, ribs, turkey, sausage. It's all really good. Give them a follow on social at Rahino BBQ. Okay, to me, the problem is not that you scheduled Wyoming on the road. The problem is that you lost to Wyoming. You should, you cannot, you cannot be two types of program at once. If you're program type A and you're scared to schedule Wyoming or Nevada or East Carolina, whoever, if you're too scared to play those teams on the road, then you're not a, you're not a good team. You're not a tough team. How do you have a Big 12 championship expectation if you're going, oh, it's so hard to go on the road to Wyoming and win? You were 14-point favorites. Power 5 teams have lost there before. Power five teams have won there before. Mountain West teams have won there before. The problem isn't that you scheduled some brutal trap game. It's that you played like crap for nine straight possessions on offense, made a couple of boneheaded penalties, and lost the game. 
if we're a piss poor program whose ceiling is six and six, and we're just happy to be here in a bowl game, then sure, let's schedule three FCS games and never play Wyoming again. But I think that's so soft and so weak. I don't blame the AD for scheduling it. I don't blame the team for playing it. It's good for college football yes. when you have an interesting non-conference game. We're all bitching all offseason about having to play Tarleton because that should be 70-0. to zero. It's not fun to play Lamar or, well, Houston Baptist almost beat you, but it shouldn't be fun to play teams like that. I would rather play two power fives, one home, one away in the non-con and host a group of five, but until you're there, like, yeah, you can kind of make some scheduling demands with – group of five programs, but you're not just going to dictate to all of them. We're only going to play at home all the time. Power five teams go on the road to group of five schools all the time and win. And if, if like one day after we were talking big 12 championship dark horse, we're talking, well, we're not a good enough program to go on the road and be a group of five team. Then like our expectations and aspirations and goals as a program are totally out of alignment. Tough games make tough teams. And hopefully this coaching staff can learn from this game. This playing uh, roster can learn from this game, and you'll be better from it. If not, Joey McGuire is not who we think he is. And I think he is who he thought he was, to be confusing about it. Uh, I believe everything he said in the offseason, and I believe he believes it. Um, was there a lot of hype in the offseason? Yes. Is there a lot of hype moving forward? Yes. The Big 12 season is still in front of us. You still get to play Oregon. Hey, if you lose to Oregon and go 0-2, you know what you can do in the Big 12? Go undefeated. And you know what you can do if you go 0-3 in non-conference play? Play in a Big 12 championship. Because non-conference games do not matter for Big 12 championships. You're not in a playoff race. The Wyoming game means nothing long-term. Absolutely nothing unless you lose more games. If you lose a bunch of Big 12 games and don't make a bowl game, it's not because you lost to Wyoming. It's because you lost Big 12 games. Baylor lost to Texas State. Go beat Baylor and Waco. Go beat Kansas State at home. Go beat TCU at home. You still have a whole schedule in front of you. You can't get killed by Wyoming twice or three times or four times. It was a loss. Move on. I just anybody who bought into 60 minutes of us and we're the toughest team in the country who four hours later was saying, well, we shouldn't play these hard games at places like Wyoming, I think needs their brain checked. Because, like, how, how do you square those two sentiments four hours apart from each other? Yeah. How, how in the world can you claim they can't handle 60 minutes of us? Oh, well, we were on the road in Laramie. Right. What? If you're saying 60 minutes of us and toughest team in the country, there's like, there's no excuses. It's not, oh, we're pretty damn tough at home against power five teams or group of five teams or FCS teams that we feel like playing. But hey, send us on the road to a Mountain West school and, you know, all that's out the window. Like, there, there weren't supposed to be caveats to this. Right. It was they can't handle 60 minutes of us. That's the whole thing. It was about us. It wasn't about who we're playing. So whether we're playing Georgia or Wyoming or Tarleton, it was supposed to be the same deal. Not that you'd beat all those teams, but you wouldn't let them out tough you. And when you lose a game like that, a grinded out, ugly kind of game, and their quarterback in his post-game interview says, we took them to the deep end of the pool and we knew they'd fold. It's like, you just got freaking out tough by Wyoming after that was your entire 
off-season brand and identity. Like, it's freaking gut check time. It's not time to go, well, we shouldn't have been playing this game in the first place. Screw that. Screw that. How about this, Kyle? What's next? That I'm saving that for my final thoughts. Okay. Um, let's mention overtime real quick. Uh, we're 40 minutes into us here. Uh, still talking about the game. We haven't moved on yet. Uh, if you want to talk about the rest of the Big 12, we can. Uh, even though we do it in our spaces on Saturday nights, Gauchos After Dark every Saturday night brought to you by Barnett, Howard, and Williams. Uh, that'll be up later on our YouTube channel if you missed it. You can also re-listen there on Twitter as uh, more than 1,300 of you already have. Uh, good shout-out to Barnett, Howard, and Williams there. Um, in the overtime, somebody asked earlier, should you have gone for it in the first overtime? What are your thoughts on that, momentum-wise? Sorry, can you repeat the question? I was reading one of the comments. Going for two uh, in the first overtime. Do you think you should have momentum-wise and just try to finish the game there? Ideally, in a vacuum, I think if you're going second in overtime and you have a chance to gain three yards to win the game on the road and get the hell out of there before another momentum swing or whatever, you do it. I agree. Given what I've seen on our two-point conversion play calls going back to like even the bowl game and what we wound up calling, I think we probably didn't feel good enough about whatever two-point play call we had, and that's why we didn't do it. We were hoping for a stop on the next defensive possession. Um, Because, yeah, like clearly we're not a team that thinks we can run it down your throat for three yards when we need to. Like I think it's very obvious we do not believe that about ourselves. Or if we do, we're just not doing it for some reason. Could you have done – like you have a mobile quarterback. I think you could do some quarterback run there. I – Philosophically, I'm fine trying to take the kill shot. Given what you called for the two-point conversion in the second overtime, I'm fine with kicking the extra point, if that makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. It's like, you know, do you want to get married someday? Yeah. Like, do I know any woman worth marrying? Not right now. So I'm not I'm not going to get married just for the sake of it. Like, if you don't have a two-point call that you feel, hey, this has an 85% shot of working, then, yeah, don't do it. And I, I'm jumping ahead of you a little bit, but we get to second OT when – Rule change, you have to go for two. By the way, I did not know that rule change in the stands, and I was like, what in the hell are we – if you have a two-point call in overtime, do it the first one. Like, why are we doing it now? I, I thought we were totally setting ourselves up to fail there and then let them kick an extra point. Yeah. Turns out, second overtime, you have to go for two. Have to. Didn't know that. So, uh, I unfreaked out on the rewatch when I learned that rule. But, like, you send Taj Brooks, who's – a bowling ball, not a speedster in motion across the formation. Nobody probably thinks you're going to run it there because you haven't run it all game. And then you move the pocket and roll your quarterback out, something you haven't done all game. Nobody's open. There's no, like, plan B. When you're rolling out the quarterback and they've got it contained like their end did, like the quarterback's screwed. He can't cut back. He can't I – mean, he can keep running to the sideline, but, like, nobody's open clearly. I don't know what I would have called in that situation. I could maybe come up with something. I'm not paid to make the call. I'm, you know, I get that I'm just kind of like throwing shade from the from the cheap seats here. I thought it was a bad play call, but I admit I don't know what I would have done instead. When you bootleg, you take away half the field. And you already and, don't have enough room because you're three yards out. We still have a six foot nine and a six foot seven tight end that we have allegedly. no interest in using. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah. We didn't use them for most of 60 minutes, we didn't use them in that overtime period. We have a quarterback who can run. We took that element out of it. Uh, we have good receivers. 
maybe some like mesh. You know, if you run an actual pick, it's offensive PI, but teams get away with that all the time. Like run a difficult to defend mesh concept with trips to one side. I don't know. I'm not paid hundreds of thousands to make that decision. I don't know what would have been better, but like, I feel like we, whatever we wound up with there was not ideal. I'm going to read another comment. Uh, I didn't know Kingsbury had come back to the team. I'll take Kitley for a thousand dollars. Alex Shuck should be pissed at his coach. Yeah, I said it. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury consistently had top five offenses. I don't know what this comment is trying to say, but bottom line, you have to execute. And I felt the execution was off for a large part of the game. And again, you can call it play calling. You can call it execution. Something was off. And I think they both can learn something from this game. Agreed. Jackson also says, I think the seventh quarterback draw of overtime should have been the call on, on the on the three. Like you laugh, the small sample size. I think we had six designed quarterback runs at the end of regulation and in the two overtime periods. Yeah. Small sample size. Three of them were successful runs by success rate definition. 50% success rate is pretty elite. So like, I know that we're kind of laughing about that. It might not have been the worst call in the world. You've gotten three yards on that before plenty of times. Would have been a better call than what they called. Also, easy to say all this in hindsight. Oh, certainly. We're just two, we're just two jokers, uh, sexy jokers on a podcast. But <laughs> if we move the pocket and a receiver leaks open and it works, we're all sitting here saying, "Yeah, that was a great play call." Yeah. So it, it's easy to say this all in hindsight, and I'm not I'm not trying to be unfair to anybody here. Uh, and you mentioned blitzing earlier. You blitz on their two point conversion call, and uh, it doesn't work. It almost works. Joey McGuire talked about that in the post game. And he said, if you cover the tight end for two more seconds, uh, that works. But it didn't. And you didn't. When when I saw that, and by the way, I want to give a huge shout-out to Dadrian Taylor-Demerson. I, I think he's the best player in our defense by a decent margin. He timed that perfectly. And when I saw him get through the hall, I was like, we just won the game on this. Like, I thought the quarterback was going to throw it into the sky. or He gets rid of it, and I see the tight end. I was like, wow, like incredible – Hot read, one, like you have to have it between the ears there to know where to go with the ball, and he did. And then to be staring down the barrel of that and make the throw on target, it's a good play. It's a winning play. Um, Yeah, you do need to cover him, but also like you're kind of hanging him out to dry when you're when you're bringing six guys like that. Like everyone's on an island, and it's a lot harder to cover in a scenario like that. So, again, going back, again, I when I saw, uh, when I saw Rabbit run through the line, I thought we had him. I thought it was a great call great execution at that point in the play but looking back on it now it's like why were we blitzing at all in the second half of the game like we just didn't need to what we needed to defend were underneath kind of routes like that eight or ten yards down the field and that's exactly what they beat you on because you were blitzing again so I, I think we were employing the wrong defensive strategy there um okay so this is uh, the gambling gauchos if you're listening, but normally at uh, noon on Mondays, I do the Rob bro show. Uh, I want to do a Rob bro show bit here with you, Kyle. Do you have any overreactions from the game that you want to get in? Uh, Because I have a couple uh, that I've kind of already expressed, but one of them is execution. My overreaction here is that Kitley called a fine game. and You didn't have the execution that Tyler Shuck flat out did not execute. And I'm not saying that Morton would execute a better game plan 
I just feel like Tyler Shuck did not execute in this game. And I'm not saying he won't execute the rest of the year. But my overreaction here is that Kitley is not to blame. Uh, and if you want to put blame on somebody on the offense, the quarterback didn't execute. That's my overreaction today. I guess I'll take it one step further since we're aiming to overreact here. And this is a potential overreaction. I think if you don't beat Oregon and the quarterback play isn't improved, Tarleton is a great time to make the switch. And I don't love hopping on here and calling for people's jobs, singling out individual players, but just long-term trajectory as a program. If you start this year 0-2 and the quarterback position leaves you with something to be desired, the best time to make the switch, like you're playing for the future at that point. So you go with the younger guy, the guy with the higher ceiling. I think both of those things are indisputable. And the FCS game right before Big 12 plays the perfect transition time. So that's my overreaction. And I would love Tyler Shuck shut up a lot of doubters and haters last four games of last year. Love to do our next recap, talking about an upset win over Oregon where Shuck plays really well and we don't have to make the quarterback switch. But at 0-2, like why the hell not at that point? Like someone explained to me the logic behind playing the older player with the lesser arm talent for a season that is likely not going to end up remotely how you wanted it to without some serious changes. And, and that's like the most basic, like 100 IQ reaction to any loss is just like blame the quarterback, blame the head coach. I think we've covered our bases here talking about all three phases of the game and coaching. So I'm not just trying to default to that. Like, oh, well, we lost. So, yeah, go to the second string quarterback. I said this in the Discord, kind of arguing with somebody. They were of the opinion that Shuck is clearly the starter moving forward. And I said in start number one of his career, we saw Baron Morton make throws that we have not seen Tyler Shuck make in five years of college football. Is Morton less experienced? Yeah. Is he more likely to make a mistake? Maybe. Does he have the better arm talent and the higher upside? Absolutely. And good segue here, if if you're ready, uh, offensive identity. I've alluded to this a couple times. I I think they want tempo to be your identity. I don't count that as identity. I think that's just the pace at which you play the game. The good offenses, the elite offenses, know precisely how they're going to achieve the goal, which is to move the ball down the field and and score points. Brett Bielema is going to have nine offensive linemen and run the ball down your throat, for better or for worse. They know what they're going to do. The good Baylor offenses under Bryles, it was power run, power run, power run, and then when you're isolated with our receivers, we're going to throw vertical down the field. Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, it's we have weapons everywhere. We're going to spread it out. You're going to be on your heels. You're not going to know whether to play shallow, deep, sideline to sideline or up the middle. We're going to balance the run and the pass. I don't know what – I know what we're trying to do. We're trying to score like everybody. I don't know how we're trying to do it exactly. We're not trying to run the ball down anybody's throats. We're not really throwing vertical unless we have to. Uh, We're not trying to set up play action. We're not trying to set up the screen game. We're not trying to do the quarterback run until we absolutely have to. What is our offensive identity besides tempo? Uh, yeah. I, I, I know what it could be with Morton. It could be we have one of the best arms in college football, and we can throw it any spot on the field, and we're going to make you cover all 5,000 square yards of the football field here, more or less. Like, And, again, is that I, I would still like to run the ball. We're not going to, no matter who the quarterback is, apparently. Like, I think they've – made that kind of clear over 14 games into this administration. But like the Oklahoma state game, that first drive with Morton, it was like, 
we can throw it sideways. We can go sidearm so that the pass doesn't get batted down at the line of scrimmage, something that happened two or three times for Wyoming. We can throw it 70 freaking yards down the field if you want. So good luck covering all of that. You, you mentioned that uh, Baron Morton might be more apt to make a mistake. I mean, it doesn't feel like the veteran is much more decisive than he was two years ago. Yeah, again, that, that INT was a telegraphed pass that was late to the sideline. That was pick six against Texas in 2021. In fairness to Shuck, he had collarbone on his other shoulder. It was a pick six against Baylor last year, and it was a pick six. It wasn't a pick six. It was picked off against Wyoming this year. Uh, picked off against Oklahoma? And, like, hey. um, Almost picked off multiple other times. It should have been a pick six earlier in the game. Yeah, like the box score wasn't terrible. One interception, no fumbles. Like, okay, one turnover per game is like, that's not deadly as a quarterback, especially as often as we put the ball in his hands. But it could have been three picks pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, All right, that's uh, 53 minutes of us talking about the game I feel like is enough. Do you want to go through the rest of the Big 12 or do you want to leave that uh, in the past? I I do want to have one small conversation about Colorado. I don't feel like we really talked about it much on the on the after dark. Is is Colorado good? They might be like they might be. I, I was kind of viewing, I was kind of coping with the loss through the lens of you were a 14, 14 point favorite on the road. TCU lost as a 21 point favorite at home. Baylor yeah. lost as a 28 point favorite at home. Yeah. Now, Baylor lost to a group of five program, but it's like, I'm looking at TCU. I'm like, the spread shouldn't have been 21. Like, that's what it was. And so that's an objective fact. But like, if they lined it up next week in Fort Worth, I would say, like, I don't know, TCU minus four to six. Yeah. Cause like, Colorado favored by two and a half against Nebraska. I yeah, was kind of surprised that wasn't kind of surprised that wasn't more. But like I was watching the Colorado team and, and they gave up 40 something points and two two more red zone trips, missed field goal. Like maybe their defense is bad. But like Shador Sanders is a legit quarterback. Travis Hunter, good two-way player. So I don't think they're nearly as bad as everybody thought they were going to be. Like, you know, bottom of the power five might win two, three games this year. They're not that for sure. Yeah, they're they're gonna win a couple of Pac 12 games. Yeah, they, they might not be better than like seven and five. Yeah, but, well, I was about to say they might go bowling. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I could see it. And, and it might be fragile, too. Like, if Sanders or Hunter gets hurt, yeah. how much juice do they have left? Um, But, yeah. yeah, like, I don't think TCU should have been a 21-point favorite in that game. In hindsight, I picked them to cover the spread because I I thought Colorado was going to be terrible. Um, but, yeah, that I, – I think of the three, even though the spread was 21 and it was at home, I don't think that was – the worst loss because it was it was a close game against a much better team than we realized I think Baylor's was the worst loss I don't know yours was on the road and you were a smaller favorite I think yours and TCU's are maybe close I'd, I'd rather be a TCU fan trying to cope with that than a Tech fan trying to cope with the loss to Wyoming yes yeah, start bench cut you're you're starting the loss against Texas State I might be doing this backwards but starting the Texas State loss that's the worst Benching the Colorado loss, I think, because it's at least a power five program and then cutting the Texas Tech loss. Yeah. Probably should that backwards, but you could probably argue back and forth on TCU or Texas Tech. But that was the other crappy thing about the loss is like we want to sit here and dunk on our in state rivals and like 
Houston gets the last laugh. They beat a good, you know, solid UTSA team and yep. the other three uh, Big 12 teams, you know, you know, I'm excluding Texas, all take an L as two plus touchdown favorites. So rough. And and they look good doing it. They had good uniforms. But um, yeah, we talked a little bit about the at least the FBS on FBS Big 12 games on Gauchos after dark. As of time of recording, that's pinned at the top of our Twitter. I think we'll get that uploaded to YouTube. Um, so, yeah. And I'll say another thing. I'm worried about – with Dion's persona and demeanor, I'm worried about two things. Okay. Number one, first off, I love the – I love what Dion is doing. Like, I'm going to come out here with shades on, a gold chain – and like we're not coming anymore. We're here. That pregame speech. I was like, all right, let's freaking go. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm down with this. Yeah. But like after the game, fair or not, like he's calling out individual reporters going, like, I read what you wrote. I saw what you tweeted. You know, do you believe us now? I'm worried that the media is going to be so afraid of like legitimate criticisms of how he runs his program, whatever that may be, that they just go full on ass kissing mode with Dion and like, oh, 100%. Because they, they don't want to be called out. The other thing I'm worried about is a bunch of cheap knockoffs. Like everybody's gonna be like, "Oh, you can win with swagger, and you can win with this charismatic leadership." And so there's gonna be like ten wannabe Dion's that pop up, and they're gonna look like fools if they go three and nine, wearing the sunglasses and the gold chain, and telling everybody, "We're not coming. We're here." Like if you don't back it up, it, it's a bad look. And hey, he's one game in, but he's one for one in terms of backing it up. It's hard to be Deion Sanders, but Deion Sanders has been Deion Sanders for his whole life. Yeah, he's not trying to. This isn't new. It's not a. It's not a persona. It's Deion. No, he's not playing a character. This is what he's been since the '90s. You know, and uh, third, third reason to be worried: the roster management, because both him and GJ Kinney uh, at Texas State got rid of at least fifty players. I think Deion got rid of eighty. And uh, G.J. Kenny got rid of 50 at Texas State and completely rebuilt their rosters. Well, Texas State beat Baylor, their first Power 5 win ever. And I still haven't been able to catch up on some of these games because, of course, when we're in the stadium in Laramie, we can't really watch Baylor versus Texas State or Oklahoma State versus Central Arkansas. But the feedback I saw on Twitter from the Baylor game was that Texas State was bigger, stronger, and better. Like, clearly, G.J. Kenny in one offseason put together a good roster. And I know we don't, as fans, want to see players go to three different schools and hit, you know have 20 guys hit the portal every offseason. But a lot of times, like, that choice is kind of being made for them. Like, Dion basically cut most of those guys. And th- it's, it's a knife that cuts both ways. If you want to give players the freedom to start over, you're kind of giving the coaches the freedom to say, well, now I'm going to treat this like free agency and – everybody's on a one-year contract. And if I need to replace 30 guys to be a better football team, I'm going to do it because I, because I can. Yeah. It's a dangerous precedent, but. Uh, but that's why I'm, I'm worried about the cheap yeah. knockoffs. Yeah. But, and I'm, I'm excited. They're coming to the big 12 next year. Like, I, I don't know if he'll be there long. Cause again, if it, if it flames out, you know, they'll probably make a change. And if he's winning, 10 games at Colorado. He's probably going to go to LSU or, you know, Bama after saving retired or something like that. But man, it'll be fun to have Dion and that Colorado squad. Uh, and I don't know if, I guess Hunter is only in year two. I think Sanders, Shitter Sanders is in year three. Like he might go pro if he has a good enough season here. 
But, man, that'd be so much fun. I don't know what the 2024 schedule is going to look like. Coach Prime, Shadur Sanders, Travis Hunter coming to the Jones. It'll be fun. Certainly. Certainly will be fun. Uh, all right. Anything else before we move? Oh, let's talk about Wyoming. Uh, the actual trip was really fun. Laramie is a really, really fun town. Uh, we went out and saw a lot of the town. I think we pretty much covered downtown. Uh, we pretty much covered uh, the rest of it, too, driving around a couple of days. Had a couple of good meals, a couple of drinks, a couple of good times. We sang some karaoke. Well, we didn't, but one of us did. Um. It was a good time, and I thought the atmosphere at the game, the tailgating was fun, lots of nice people there in Wyoming. I will say this. The adults in Wyoming, very nice people. The students, kind of dicks, but you kind of expect that wherever you go. Same takeaway. Like Every adult that you met out at a bar restaurant was super nice and friendly, and the students were, yeah. But again, like. Yeah, you expect it. You know, there's 21 year olds like that everywhere, yeah. and clearly they grow up into 40 year old Wyoming fans that are super nice. And so, I'm not gonna see them pretend like if if we were a group of five team and a power five team came to our place, that our students would just be like, "Hey, thanks so much for coming, great yeah. game." Like they would give it to them as well. So th- they didn't do anything that was like over the line or had no issue with it. Um, it was funny. Like th- they have a good tailgate scene as well. It's better than Texas Tech's tailgating scene, I would say. They didn't have DJ Diesel, but like the actual your ability to go set up a barbecue or whatever, I think was better at Wyoming. Uh, well, we could... The actual parking lots, because you had a full parking lot right by the stadium, and then a secondary parking lot, you know, away from the stadium across the street, all tailgating. Yeah, right by the stadium. There were a million Josh Allen jerseys. That is their guy. And, you know, I didn't I didn't start anything with any Wyoming fans like walking past our tailgate because we were like right at the corner of the street where it goes to the stadium. But if they're and it was it was all in good fun. But like if some of their students wanted to walk by and chirp a little bit, the go to was that Josh Allen has as many Super Bowls as Jackson Mahomes. And they they always love that. Um, but it was a good time, like everything but the game. We, we did an awesome facilities tour. They let us see the the stadium suites that they had just built, I think within the last few years, if I remember correctly. The last uh, 10, maybe. Yeah. There's a cool kind of historical tidbit up there. If you're curious, they have like game programs from every Wyoming bowl game. And I think in 1956, you played Wyoming in the Sun Bowl. And so they had that Sun Bowl game program, which it doesn't list Texas Tech on there, but I recognize it from some of my other perusings um and they'd let us down on the field I, I didn't know what to expect if they were gonna be like hey you know keep off the grass you can you can take a look at it. but I was I guess maybe bold and I was like I'm gonna bring a football out here and like see if they'll let us toss the picks and like they let us run routes kick field goals yeah for a good 20 a, minutes maybe yeah it was awesome um so we had a fun time screwing around trying to throw bombs into the end zone and turf was brand new super soft I think it's probably going to play really similar to the new turf at the Jones um, took us to the basketball arena, which is huge. Used to see 15,000 until they installed some video screens. Now I think it's 12 or 13, but um, huge basketball Coliseum. That was cool. Indoor practice facility. They have a full 100 yards. I think the one that we have in Lubbock is 80 yards. So 
it, great people. And like this whole time, I guess I need to explain my shirt. So we're, we're like going souvenir shopping before the game. And I was like, oh, you know, this has been such a fun trip. They're so hospitable. I'm going to buy a T-shirt to commemorate this. And so this at the bottom, it says like 1992 whack champs. And now I just like an idiot with this T-shirt for a team that beat us. Um, and like the tailgate was fun. Our good buddy Gark brought some pork butts. Like 20 people that we at the very least knew from the Internet, if not in real life, were up there. And right. You know, you're tossing the pig skin with BJ Simmons. You're like, man, this is the thing dreams are made of. We just we're gonna go in there, win by 31 and trip of a lifetime. And then you lose the game. It was like, well, this took a turn for the worse. And so yeah. I'm still very uh happy for the memories we made with our our friends out on the town and doing the facilities tour and at the tailgate. The only thing missing was the final score. And I was sitting next to Briggsy and you know, it was like halftime and I kind of feel it creeping in. I was like, we're, we're playing with fire here. He was like, we need to come out. It was like, we need to win this game 41 to 10. And I was like, dude, I would take a one point win right now and just get the hell out of here. He was like, no, no, we need to dominate. And then, you know, you're tied in the third quarter, losing by three. You're in double overtime. I was like, please, God, a one point win. And I'll, this will be the best trip ever. And they beat you, you know, hats off to them. Um, But yeah, nothing bad to say about the city of Laramie or the, Athletics Department at Wyoming, that was all top tier. So appreciate their hospitality. And I guess I'm stuck with this T-shirt as a souvenir. Yeah, <laughs> Didn't have time to go exchange it before going to the airport. I bought a game program walking in. Like, I'm going to keep this forever. No. Oh, we had our new uh, custom Gauchos hats from yep. Flint and Booten Hat. We're, like, out there looking sharp. and Got a lot of compliments on that hat, by the way. Yeah, it's a good hat. Uh, go check him out at Flint Boot and Hat. I'm just, it's crazy, man. There was one piece of the puzzle missing, and it was the final score. The, the weather, it's like in the 70s. The mountains are beautiful. Just perfect weekend, except for that one thing, which was the reason we were all up there. Yeah. yeah. Tough scene. Tough we got scene. a comment. How hard can BJ sling it? Hard to say because we were we were throwing about like 10 yards, nothing crazy. But I will say, Rob, there's – you can notice the difference between like Joe Blow throwing a football, yeah, and somebody that has like done it for a living. Um, and it was Pretty funny nice too, spiral. yeah, just like comes out so natural, so clean, spiral. And like it was funny too because there was we're throwing it back you know, only for a few minutes, and like it, it starts coming with a little more zip and just perfectly clean spiral. Like couldn't have been a tighter spot. He said something. He's like, he's like, yeah, I feel it now. Like I'm I'm getting looser. And I was like, this is like a perfect ball every time. And so it's, it's just crazy, like, the discrepancy between people that actually play this game versus, you know, idiots that talk about flag football tournaments and stuff. It's like it, that the ball comes out of his hand different than you or I or anybody else. It's pretty crazy to experience. Pretty good. All right, you ready for a mailbag? Yeah, and I, I would guess we've probably covered 80% of this, but, yeah, let's go. Yeah, we're going to read a lot of mailbag questions. I don't know how many we're going to answer. By the way, this is the Matador Transit mailbag. Matador Transit mailbag. Welcome on to the Matador Transit. They're an F, a FedEx ground contractor in the Arkansas Valley, but uh, they just love the program. And it's all West them. Texas. Long live the Matador Transit. That's right. You've got mail. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. The mail's here. Come on. I found these in my mailbag. 
Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? You don't have a Tic Tac, do you? Did I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? First question, are Pac-12 refs widely considered better than Big 12 refs? If so, could we poach them too? I feel like you get a couple of crews in here. I mean, they'll be looking for work, right? I think every conference complains about their own refs. Yeah. Uh, in a basketball game, who would win? The Kyles of the Discord or the worst college basketball team in the country? Probably easily the worst basketball team in the country. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, we know Ky- there's a bunch of Kyles in the Discord now, but I don't know the athletic prowess of all of them. And I've never seen you play basketball. I've seen you play football before. I'm not very good at basketball. Shout out to Kyle. You threw a – I know you're not going to brag on yourself. It's not in your nature, but uh, 50-yard pass there in the indoor. Uh, with the hypotenuse, it might have actually been like 52-53. It, it was 50 yards vertically, but my receiver, uh, Bill Walton's kid, was actually a few yards. That was actually funny. I'm going to pick on Briggsy a little bit. After we were, you know, served a decent amount out on the town, we were like meet these random tech fans or Wyoming fans. He would say one of two things to people like right after meeting them. He was like, hey, did you know they have a beer garden in the south end zone tomorrow? Like that was that was a Super Bowl. Yeah. And the other thing, if I was saying it, he goes, hey, this guy can throw the ball 50 yards. I was like, why are you telling this stranger that? They don't care. They don't care. And they probably don't believe you either. Uh, Rob, which Kyle in the Discord would you be willing to sacrifice so that Tech will win a national championship? Uh, yeah, Kyle Jacobson. He can volunteer his tribute. He can leave the Discord and uh, we'll win a national championship. He can still be on the podcast. Uh, in the realignment era, has there ever been a program thirstier than SMU? We have not really talked about this on the podcast. SMU is going to go to the ACC for free for seven years. If it even lasts that long. Uh, I think it's nine years. Nine. And and really, it's not even for free. It's at the expense of whatever they would have made in the restructured Pac-12, Mountain West, American, wherever they want to play. So I know that that's not a huge check, maybe seven or eight million, but they're going from that to zero for nine years. By which time, it's probably going to all blow up again in some form or fashion, and they'll have to find an on-ramp somewhere else. Would North Texas to the Big Ten make the Dallas-Fort Worth Metro the mecca of college football? According to John Canzano, yeah. Uh, Thoughts on student loans? I don't know that we need to get into this. (laughs) No. Okay. Uh, What are Kyle's thoughts on using natural herbs for healing, not including marijuana? Don't really have any thoughts on that one way or the other. You're not an herbologist? No. Uh, thoughts on Texas Tech playing two Mountain West teams back-to-back in 25 and 26. I think they're referring to Oregon State and Colorado State. I'm fine with it. I'm not afraid of anybody. A lot of our fans are going to not like that, though, because we're scared to play Mountain West teams, while also saying that we're going to win the Big 12. The non-con in 25 is Arkansas, Pine Bluff, Colorado State, Oregon State. And in 26, it's ACU, Oregon State, Colorado State. Is Kansas back? Back. To what? You know. Uh, I did see Jalen Daniels. He was out game one. He's expected to play against Illinois. And I was wrong when we when we guessed the spread on Gauchos After Dark, uh, sponsored by Barnett, Howard, and Williams. Again, that's pinned to our Twitter. I thought Illinois was going to be a slight favorite, even though that was on the road. I think it opened Kansas minus four. And so maybe the Jalen Daniels news was 
part of that, maybe they're just a favored team. Uh, what percent of the stadium will wear black specifically to spite the stripe out next week? I don't know if they'll do it to spite it, but there's always people that don't quite get the memo. Yeah. But also, it's going to be hot. Don't wear black. I mean, yeah, wear red. Uh, over under two and a half seasons before Coach Prime takes Colorado to a bowl game. Under. 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 Is Travis Hunter the best player in college football? He played 200 snaps. Yeah, if we're talking best all around, I, yeah, I could see a credible argument for that. I mean, there's just nobody that does. I saw this in at least the last two or three decades. He's the only player to intercept a pass on defense and catch for more than 100 yards on offense. So we saw something on Saturday that just hasn't been done, at least in the last 25-ish years, probably longer. Uh, Sonny Dykes has now lost two games in a row, three of his last four. Uh, is it safe to say he's on the hot seat? <laughs> he's not on the hot seat, but there is a stat out there about his record as a head coach with and without um, Garrett Riley. And so it, if this season continues to trend that kind of way and like all his 10 wins at SMU and the 12 or 13 wins last year at TCU is all with Garrett Riley, I think that's a fair question to ask, but. Um, but their offense wasn't really the problem on Saturday. So I, I'm not necessarily buying into that narrative. Here's a question from 1224 last night. Why do we do this to ourselves? It's a good question. Uh, it's funny. Uh, in 2021, when Matt Wells was still the head coach, I did the whole thing. I bought a plane ticket to Houston to watch the season opener, buy a ticket. We go down 14 to zero. And I was like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, why on earth did I waste my weekend away from my family, buy a plane ticket, buy a game ticket? Why did I do this? And you wound up winning that game, but <laughs> this is funny. I hope I'm okay to quote him here, but one of the guys I was sitting next to at the game, when it was pretty apparent we were probably going to lose in the third or fourth quarter, he goes, dude, we are such dipshits for coming here. <laughs> like, let's uproot our whole lives for three or four days, come to this remote outpost that's not convenient to get to, so we can watch our team lose to a group of five. Like, it's a fair question. And and that's a sad reality as a fan. I was thinking about this when I was seeing people really mad on Twitter and I was just, I wasn't going to do that. It just doesn't matter. It's a sad reality as a fan. The more you care, doesn't have any impact on the result. And you can be as upset as you want about the loss. You still lost. And there's nothing that you and I can do. We joke about focusing on the next opponent, but that's what it is. It's a joke. And like, I can't make myself stop caring, and no matter how much I care, it doesn't impact the result. So that's just the sad nature of being a football fan. Uh, remember when Joey said this team would beat the bowl team by 14 points? Where was that team? I was comfortable in apathy. Yeah, a lot of us were for about a decade. And uh, now you have expectations, and it hurts to lose. I'll get to that in my final thoughts. Your final, final thoughts? Uh, what positions are up for grabs next week? My wife is ready for me to be done with this podcast because she okay. texted me 25 minutes ago and said that our daughter is up, which I can hear, and she's now at the door. Apparently, my wife isn't going to move her away from the door. Um, so apologize for that background noise. What was the question? Um, are any positions up for grabs next week? Yeah, inside linebacker. I, again, I don't like singling out individual guys, but several guys that came in for Jacob Rodriguez, I thought didn't pass 
pass the test. Um, corner, I think Braden Lux is your best corner. Um, and that's saying a lot because Rashad Williams and Malik Dunlap were experienced guys, good guys. And at least in one game, Lux outplayed both of them. And so I think he might become a staple and the other two might start rotating potentially. I think offensive line. I was surprised that Landon Peterson came in instead of Jacoby Jackson when Dennis Wilburn went down. I think if there's an offensive lineman that can help you get a push in the run game, that's an area. And then quarterback is an obvious one as well. Lots of questions about the game. I think we answered all those. Um, should we retire color combinations after horrible losses? Might not have anything left to wear. Right. Uh, is Rodriguez healthy? No, out four to six weeks, according to the press conference this afternoon. That sucks. I didn't know that until you just said it. What other Dave Campbell's Texas football podcast host would you want to have a beer with? And why is it Coach Jay Arnold? God, that sucks so much. Four to six weeks. Yeah. Sorry, I breezed by that one. That's brutal. And again, the way he got hurt was just. Oh, it definitely was because the guy dove on him. And that if, that's a, le- if that's a defensive guy, you might get the penalty. Yeah. That guy left him alone. It's Or if he just like falls on the ball and just lays down for a few seconds instead of trying to stand up. I'm not blaming him. It's just like a fluke deal. Right, right. Um, who would I want to get a beer with? Um, that's a good question. So you got Craven, uh, Ishmael. You got the TCU people. Melissa seems like she'd be fun out in the, out on the town. I'll take the big bosses. I'll go with Craven and Ish. The big bosses. Yeah. Craven, I've, I've had a, a Texas Philly with Craven, but never a beer. Uh, offense, def- start bench cut, offense, defense, or we fence? Did you see this from Harbaugh? No. He says it's not two sides of the ball. It's just a we fence. It's so corny. It's a team game. I, I don't have an answer to that. Uh, I'll start defense, bench offense, and cut defense. I'm not a I'm not a fan of the defense. Uh, start bench cut, paying bills, colonoscopies, or rewatching the Wyoming game. Paying bills at least has a benefit. So does a colonoscopy. Like that sucks, but it's good to keep the lights on and to maintain your health. Rewatching the Wyoming game, all it did was illuminate issues for me that I didn't catch live. Which, by the way, I have a pretty, I have a new, new bit alert, new segment alert. Oh, it's called Body Blows. It's just my uh, tidbits, takeaways from the game every week. And I named it Body Blows for a reason. You'll have to subscribe to find out. Patreon.com/slash/GamblingGauchos. A uh, big hen would start colonoscopies. He says it's fun which we learned something new about Big Hen there. To each their own. Um, what are the ethical ramifications of purchasing something knowing that you're going to return it? I don't think there's any ethical ramifications there. I think that there are guardrails in place when needed to prevent that. Like there are no refunds policies on certain items, certain types of items. So if you're operating within the confines of their own rules, I think it's probably okay. Yeah, they have policies in place. Uh, final question. This is from the the thoughts here on the comments section. 
the refs didn't call anything on Wyoming except three false starts. He goes on, but did you see holding on your rewatch as much as I did that wasn't called? Yes, and I saw it live. Okay, that's what I thought. Uh, all right, final thoughts? Everything runs through Lubbock. They can't handle 60 minutes of us. We're going to take them somewhere they don't want to go. We're the toughest team in the country. All things that have been part of this program's identity under Joey McGuire. I was supportive. I was fine to take that approach, take the publicly confident approach. You and I remarked on it a ton this offseason. This isn't typical coach speak. Most guys just say, yeah, we got after during spring practice. Players have to continue to work hard, prove themselves, yada, yada, yada. He didn't say that. He set the bar a lot higher with very specific um, forecast predictions. This year's team would beat the bowl team by 14. We expect to play for a Big 12 championship, et cetera, et cetera. Because that standard was set so publicly, I think it's completely fair to take criticism from Tech fans who those expectations were relayed to and from opposing fans uh, when you don't live up to it. And so if you – I tried to stay off Twitter, but, you know, there were a couple shots taken at Texas and really just anybody in the Big 12 that didn't want to buy into the Texas Tech hype. You gave them all the ammunition they needed to call you out on it, and it's totally fair game. If you if you said, hey, we want to be a competitive team or whatever, like there's nothing tangible there for them to latch on to. But when you say we're the toughest team in the country, they can't handle 60 minutes of us. We expect to win the Big 12. You invite all that criticism, and it's totally fair game. Obviously, you know, there's a line that people inevitably cross on social media, calling individual players uh, profanities, things like that. But when you talk Big 12 championship and lose to a group of five team, you've opened yourself up to some very legitimate criticism. And if you're going to use social media as a vehicle to build hype and excitement among the fan base, and to relay expectations to the public, you can expect that exact same platform to be used by the same public to explain when and how you did not live up to those expectations. But my favorite part of the brand has always been what's next. Upsets happen in college football, and sometimes you lose when you're a 14-point favorite. It's happened to every single college football program in the history of the game. What's next? This team has a golden opportunity to prove that the offseason wasn't just a bunch of noise and fluff and hype to sell season tickets. Because what's next is the opportunity to play a top 15 team in Lubbock in front of your home crowd at the Jones. I personally don't want to hear any more talk about anything, about what a great rebound we had in practice this week and that the locker room handled it really well and expectations to go for. I don't want to hear a word. And the Texas Tech social media creative team does a great job. This week is not the time or place for it. No more talking. Show up between the lines for 60 minutes if you want to prove something to everyone and to yourselves. 60 minutes of us is about the game between the lines. It's not about manufacturing hype on social media. So we've still got to, and I was thinking this during the game. I was like, we've got an opportunity here in the third quarter to prove how tough we are, and we didn't get it done. Well, now we've got an opportunity to address another component of the brand. How tough are you coming off a loss? What's next? And can you do it for 60 minutes of us between the lines and match the noise that has been taking place outside the lines when the games aren't going on? So I'm looking forward to the opportunity. I say that like I'm strapping up for the game. I'm not. Right. But 
this is what it's all about. In terms of what's next, you have no better opportunity to right the ship than beating Oregon in front of your home crowd. And it's not even really all about winning and losing. I mean, it kind of is. But if you lay another egg, then I'll be like, okay, well, we didn't answer what's next very well at all. So golden opportunity. Losing sucks, but the beauty of the sport is six or seven days later, you get another crack at it. So I don't want to hear a word this week. Shut up and show up, and let's see if any of this is real. I've got another final thoughts for you in line with how you normally do your final thoughts. A, cali- a, a caterpillars, what a caterpillar sees as the end, the master sees as a butterfly. What a caterpillar sees as the end, the master sees as a butterfly. It's not over. All right, that's all I got. Same here. We'll see you on Wednesday night to preview Oregon. We need to find a guest for that. We got ghosted by Uh one guy, but I think he's like an A-list Oregon reporter type guy. So we're probably not, we're not that big yet. Yeah, we'll find somebody though. We're on the B-list. We can, we can do it. I believe in us. All right. I enjoyed it, man. Uh, Thanks for the memories on the trip. That really was fun, except for the game. Um, I guess one last final thought, not to just end on a negative note here. Nine possessions on offense. You either fail to score and or fail to get a first down. I think it was 48 minutes of game clock that you did not put up any points. It's not good. I get it. I don't want to put all the blame on one or two people's shoulders, but also that is when you don't score for 80% of the game, it's time to look inward, take a look in the mirror. So we'll see what they come out with on Saturday. Yes, we will. All right. Love y'all.